Well, we're going to read our Bibles together just now. We're going to turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 18. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. If you've got a pew Bible, it's page 1211. This is a, a big questions evening. It's a, an evening that we take a break from the sort of the regular uh, diet of what we do here on a Sunday night. We've just finished up with Ecclesiastes and, and uh, we're, we're looking at a big question tonight. And the question is, what happens when we worship? What happens whenever we come together to, to worship? And, and as we unpack this, John's going to think about this with us later on. As we unpack this, I think we'll, we'll find that so much more than we maybe have a hunch happens, really happens. We're going to read God's Word from Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us these readings uh, from his word. Now, as Nigel has said, we're in our big question series, the last Sunday night of the month, and so I'll invite you all to come with me to Hebrews chapter 12 as we turn our Bibles open and as we think about this for a few moments. So the question, what happens when we worship a friend of mine called Jonathan Landry Cruz, a guy that I was able to meet at RTS in Orlando in January, has written a book on this. It'll come up on the second slide. If you're looking to think a little bit more about this subject, then can I encourage you to buy his book, What Happens When We Worship? You can see that we have been very creative with our title tonight. And I think Jonathan actually commented on our Facebook post and said, I wonder if anybody has written a book on that. So Jonathan has. It's really helpful. Uh, and you can uh, purchase that 
uh, and read more. Lots of what we're thinking about tonight is contained within that book, and I am leaning uh, heavily upon uh, his work. Now, what happens when we worship? One theologian writes this. One theologian writes and says, worship is the most important thing we will ever do. The most important thing that we will ever do, it is what we are designed for. We're made to be worshipers of the one true and living God. We were made to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, to worship Him. And in our natural state, our sinful state, what happens to us? Well, our worship gets misplaced, doesn't it? The American novelist David Foster Wallace writes, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. This guy's not a Christian. He says everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. So we can worship money, or we can worship things. We can worship our own body. We can worship our power. We can worship celebrities. We can worship men. We can worship women. We can worship children. We can worship education. We can worship philosophies and movements. We are wired to worship. And so have we ever thought about what happens when we worship here? What is going on in and around us as we gather here Sunday morning and Sunday evening? On the Lord's Day morning and on the Lord's Day evening? Well, for the moments that we have tonight, we want to zoom in and think clearly about what happens. And as we think about worship, a couple of things by way of distinction and to define Whenever we talk about worship, we're not just talking about what happens over here in this corner. Whenever we talk about worship, we're talking about the whole worship service. And so a a distinction that is really helpful for us is to think of our singing as our praise, and then worship as what we do throughout the whole service as we gather into this room. And secondly, whenever we think about biblical worship, there, there are two spheres of worship. Uh, All of life worship that we hear about in Romans chapter 12, we're not going to think about that tonight, and then Lord's Day worship, which we are going to think about. And so let's turn our attention to this, and I want us to have our eyes open tonight and to take in the glory of what happens in this room Sunday after Sunday. And so we're going to see four things, and the first one tonight is approaching, approaching a holy God. This is what we see. Look at chapter 12 and verse 18. You see what happens? You have not come to what, and I'm reading from the ESV here, what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest. There's a a sense in which we approach the Lord in worship. So how do you approach worship here on a Sunday? Maybe you think of worship a little bit like how you think of Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts are good for us. We know that worship's good for us, but really, we, we hope that we can jazz it up a little bit like we do with our Brussels sprouts with little bits of bacon and, and nuts and all the fancy oils that we have. And so it is whenever we come to worship. It's good for us, but we, we kind of need to add things to it. It's all a bit bleak. It's a bit boring. It's a bit mediocre. We come along to church, and we think we need to endure worship. Well, the key to understanding what is going on is held within Hebrews, and in Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 18, you have come to what, not, what may not be touched, verse 19, the sound of the trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. 
Verse 21, indeed, as we approach God, it's so terrifying that the sight was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. This is no small thing that we are doing. It is a supernatural event. We come here and we meet with God Himself. We come into His very presence. Public worship, as we gather in here, is the nearest thing that we have to heaven itself. This is a foretaste, a a little crumb of what it will be like in glory, as we will gather brother and sister, one with the other, before the very throne of God. It's special. It's substantial. It is exciting as we gather. It really is the most important thing that we can ever do. And if that, the opening section of chapter 12 and those verses 18 through to 21, if they show what it was like in the Old Testament, how terrifying it was, well then come and let's read from verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Let's pause. This is what is happening in worship. Lord's Day morning, and Lord's Day evening. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So, what does that tell us? We're now in God's presence. And look who's with us. And to the innumerable angels in festal gathering. So, all the angels gather as we worship on the Lord's Day. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, to the saints who have gone on before, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous being made perfect, and to Jesus in His very presence, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Uh, blood of Abel. Do we see what's going on as we worship? Entering into heaven with the angels, with those who have died in Christ, to God, to Jesus. What an amazing thing. And this is going on right here, right now. This is where we are. Partly here and partly in the heavenly realms. This happens here Sunday after Sunday. And as we start to understand that, then you can understand why this is something that we would never want to miss. It's something that we want to be in the room for. This is something that I want to do with my friends and with my family. This is something that I don't want to miss. So going along to church on a Sunday, is it worth missing a football match for? Well, of course it is. Shouldn't even be in the same sentence. Is it worth missing an episode of the latest BBC BBC drama? Absolutely, it's worth missing it. Is it worth missing worship because we're tired? Absolutely not. We, We want to be here, don't we? If this is what's going on, if the writer of Hebrews is telling us what is going on, as it were, pulling back the curtains and letting us see behind the scenes, then nothing could be worth missing this for. 
dragging ourselves here, being in this room, the church militant, us, who are still active on the earth, joining with the church triumphant in praise of our God. This is a really helpful quote from Cruz's book, and it's a wonderful image for us. It'll come up on the screen. And he says this, he says, if we could lift the roof off the sanctuary on a given Sunday, and we're given a glimpse into the heavenly worship that we are participating in, no one would ever doze over again. Now, if you happen to nod off tonight, I don't know. You can blame me, probably, or the hate. But <laughs> Jonathan Cruz says that. If, you, if, if we were to snatch the roof off this place and we could see what was going on, wow, we'd never fall asleep again. So how do we approach our God? Well, verse 28 of chapter 12, the therefore, as we have thought about these things, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. This is no bleak or dreary thing. This is not a boring thing that happens. We are not simply going through the motions. The Lord is sustaining us week after week, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, by doing what? By, by taking us and, and bringing us into His presence. Keep going, believer. Keep walking along the way. You can do this. Soon, soon you'll take up permanent residence here. Soon I'll call you home to rest. But now, now you've just a foretaste. Keep going. Worship me with awe. And I think for us, we, we have to understand this because sometimes we think we come along to church as spectators. Like judges who who judge a performance as if we were at the Grand Opera House or, or at the Marketplace Theatre in Armagh with our little score sheets. We've talked about this before. Didn't like Nigel's shirt. Didn't like John's jacket. It doesn't change. You can notice that over the past four years. It's the same pretty much jacket. Don't like how he's doing that. That's not how we come to worship. You're not spectators. We are all participants in worship. Corporately, we worship God together. We pray together. Yes, it's our words from the front, but we're all adding our, our, man, our amen to it. As we sing, we, yes, we sing to the Lord, but we also sing to one another. The lyrics of the songs, using them to encourage one another, inspire one another. You are participating throughout the entire worship service. We're all caught up in the heavenly realms, approaching God. How do we do it? Not with apathy, but with awe and with reverence. Then secondly, approaching a holy God, and then uh, firstly was approaching a holy God. Secondly, hearing a speaking God. Who would you want to hear speak in real life? If you had an opportunity, if I could grant you an audience before some great orator, who would you pick? Martin Luther King, Churchill, for some of the younger people, you might pick Jordan Peterson. For some of the, the, the older, more holy folks amongst us, you might say Charles Spurgeon. Love, I'd love to hear them. 
Well, what about Jesus? What about if you could hear Jesus? Well, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Now, who, who is the who? Don't refuse him who is speaking. Is, is that talking about the minister? Is it talking about myself? Or is it talking about Nigel? No, it's not. It's talking about Jesus himself. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will they escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. If I told you tonight that you could come along next week and Jesus Christ would be here in this building at 11 a.m., and he would appear before you and he would speak, wouldn't be long before the word would spread. And all the roads around Lurgan would be, would be jam-packed next week. There would be people pitching tents outside the church waiting to get in here on Sunday morning. Half of Northern Ireland would probably descend to this place. And yet that is exactly what happens week in and week out. The second Helvetic Confession of 1562 says this, the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. The preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. And many churches have become ashamed of preaching. They think that that preaching is is out of date. They try and align themselves more with a TED talk that lasts eight minutes than a, a substantial dealing with God's text, a preaching on the Word. And some churches, what do they do? They give more time to storytelling and to video slots and to tea and coffee, all of which are good. But they, they give up the time of preaching. They believe the preaching of the Word not to be culturally relevant. But if we understand what is happening during the sermon in that it is the climax of worship, then would we, we would think differently. Because by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus speaks. And He speaks through His ordained servants, and He saves sinners, and He encourages the saints by the spoken Word of God to bring glory to Himself. Jesus speaks as we meet. He communicates with us. And so if you want to hear God speaking, then get yourself to morning worship, get yourself to evening worship, and listen. How do we know this? It sounds like an arrogant thing for a preacher to say. How do we know that this is biblically true, where there, there are several places that we could go to? One, one example is Ephesians chapter 2 and 17. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 17, Paul says that, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off, referring to Jesus. But there was no church at Ephesus during Jesus' lifetime. And we know that he didn't preach there. It was brought through the apostles and their preaching. Similarly, in Romans chapter 10 and verse 18, or verse 14, sorry, the verse reads, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? A legitimate translation of that is also in whom they have not heard themselves. 
audibly the Lord speaking to his people. And so what we do is we preach. It is our job, Nigel and myself's job, to to be a herald, to hurl the voice of the king. We announce and cry the words of the king. We hurl a message of the king, King Jesus. And so, as it were, it's Jesus who stands and who speaks. J.I. Packer, commenting on Martin Lloyd-Jones and on his preaching, said this, it's as if Martin Lloyd-Jones slips out of the picture and he leaves us with the God whom we would know. He slips out of the picture and he leaves us with the God that we would know as he preaches. And the story goes about an American delegation of, of ministers who came across from America to the United Kingdom and they toured around and they went to different Sunday services and they listened to different preachers and they would come out Sunday after Sunday and say, well, isn't such and such a great preacher? And isn't that guy a great preacher? And can't he exposit the text really well? And then they came to Spurgeon. And what did they say? Not that he was a great preacher, but what a great Savior we have. What a great Savior. That's the job of the preacher. You come along here to worship, and you hear the Lord speak. Then thirdly, what else happens? Well, what's going on as we, as we make our way through the worship service? We are responding in totality to the saving God. We're responding to the saving God. John Calvin says, men will never worship God with a sincere heart or be roused to fear or obey Him with sufficient zeal until they properly understand how much they're indebted to His mercy. Until we understand what He has done for us. So come to the beginning of chapter 12 and the verse 1. How does it read? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may now not grow weary or faint-hearted. See what the Lord has done for us. See how that frames where we go in, into Hebrews chapter 12. As we come to worship, we've got to understand who the Lord is, what He has done. And so the very essence of worship is coming and throwing ourselves down again at the feet of our Savior and enjoying Jesus for who He is and what He has done. He has lavished His grace on us. His mercy and forgiveness we have enjoyed. The Trinity at work in salvation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working to bring us into covenantal relationship with our God. And so our worship is trying, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what they have done for us. And as we respond in worship, what do we see? Well, it's God reminding us that it's nothing to do about us, but instead it's all to do about Him, His commitment to us. Not our performance, but His grace. 
If we were to approach God by ourselves, how would we approach Him? We'd approach Him with fear and trembling, just like Moses did. But because of Jesus, because of what the Lord has done for us, we can approach Mount Zion, verse 22. We can approach Mount Zion to the city of the living God, this heavenly Jerusalem, and we do not need to be afraid. Adopted into God's family. And so we approach worship not disheartened, but lifted. We may come to worship week after week, busted and broken. We may approach worship feeling unworthy. We may approach worship feeling distant from God. But here's the beauty look at verse 24. Jesus is this mediator of the new covenant. The new covenant tells us what? That He has done it for us. That all the covenantal promises are fulfilled in the Lord. And therefore, we are blessed by that. And so, as we come to worship busted and broken, uh, maybe feeling distant from Him, what does He do in the worship service? He, He sweeps us up again into the good news of the gospel as it's retoned. And our covenantal worship has a structure to it. It's had a structure to it right from the very beginning, right from Genesis. And the structure in Genesis was God called as He brought man forward. And then as He called him forward, He consecrated man. He he told him to be obedient and to love him. And then there was communion. There was a meal in the garden. Eat of all of these trees, all of the fruit, apart from one. And post the fall, that same covenantal framework is in place. It'll come up on the screen for us. Now we have two other elements added, cleansing and commissioning. And with this, I'm trying to help us see what's going on in our worship services as we respond to God. In Exodus, what do we see? This exact model played out. God calls His people to Sinai, to the place of worship. And then what does God do? He cleanses. He casts their memory back to the land. The blood was shed for the people, cleansed. And then He consecrates the people in the giving of the law, obedience and worship and devotion and love. And then He communes with Moses and Aaron and and the 70 elders in Exodus 24, 9 through 11. And then he sends them out. He commissions them to go and to live as his people. God calls and he cleanses and he consecrates and he communes and then he commissions. And this is exactly how we worship our God. It's this covenantal framework. God calls us to come. You heard Nigel read. And then we're cleansed through the blood of Jesus. We adore him and then we confess our sin, giving thanks for what he has done. And then he he consecrates us, as it were, as we listen to his word, he encourages us to be obedient and to love him. And he communes with us as we enjoy the Lord's Supper. And then he commissions us, he he sends us out with the benediction to go into all the world. And so Francis Schaeffer, in his book, No Little People, writes, true worship is not just a matter of external forms and rituals, but it's a matter of the heart. It's what we need. It's what I need. It's what you need each and every week. It is a genuine expression of love and devotion to God, all characterized by a deep sense of gratitude. 
What happens to us as we come here? We enter into God's workshop, as it were. And he, he recalibrates our hearts week after week. It's what we need. He, he pulls away the overgrowth of sin that is, that is stuck to us from the world. He pulls out the weeds in our hearts. He exposes dark alleys deep down inside of ourselves. He shows us places of disobedience. He encourages us along the way. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. All within the worship service being transformed into the image of our God as we do what? As we respond to Him. Then finally, our God is an inviting God. He's an inviting God. Imagine this. Imagine we had received an invitation from the king, and the king asked us to come and to visit him, and to meet with him and to talk with him. How would we respond? Well, I think we'd all be be shocked and stunned, and we would book our, our flight as quickly as we could out of the city airport trying to get the cheap flight over into London, and we'd be straight to the palace. And imagine the king said to us, actually, you can come every Sunday morning and every Sunday evening, and you can meet with me, and you can talk with me, and you can get to know who I am and all of my priorities. Well, do we think that we would be on the flight? Absolutely. We'd block it out of our diaries week after week. If someone said, do you want to come for a walk today? You'd say, no, I'm going to meet with the king. I'm not going to miss that. Well, imagine the king went further and he said he was going to make you a member of his family, give you a new name, and new clothes, and new rights, and an inheritance. And your new family, the royal family, would meet every Sunday morning and every Sunday evening. But would you reject that? Would you lie in your bed for it instead of it? Would you say that the weather is too bad to go? Would you be apathetic or not bothered or uninterested? Absolutely not. And here's the thing. Each Lord's Day, the King of Heaven extends to you an invitation to come and to worship Him. And what do we do? Often we reject it. An invitation, if you're not a Christian, to be adopted into the royal family, to have a new name and new clothes and new rights and an inheritance. And we put so many things ahead of us. Verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. The king has called you. He's called you to come and to worship. Christian, he has adopted you, made you part of the royal family, and he has invited you to come and to meet and to worship with him and with your brothers and sisters. Why would you, why would you miss that? Because the Lord promises that He will be here. A few months ago, my dad was uh, working at the lorry, and he was in a yard, uh, and five pounds blew past him. And he came home, and for about three days, he was all made up with this, that he had found a fiver in the yard, right? It was fantastic. He told me so many times over dinner, John, did I tell you I found a fiver? Yes, dad, you told me you found a fiver. 
Now, imagine that dad was going to withdraw 40 pounds from uh, looking to pull out 40 pounds or find 40 pounds. Would he go to the yard? No, he wouldn't go to the yard. Although he met, uh, or as such, met the five pounds there on a one-off occasion, he wouldn't go there if he was looking 40 pounds. He would go to the hole in the wall or he'd go to the bank. And so, yes, sometimes we do encounter the Lord in a special way. Maybe as we walk the moorns or as, we, as we're in nature or as we're having conversations one with the other. But the Lord has not promised to meet us there. The Lord has promised to meet us here. So why would we look for him in other places? So many times believers say, oh, I don't really need church. As if church is an optional extra. This is where he has promised to meet, to meet his people. He, as it were, the Lord doesn't take appointments anywhere else apart from in the meeting house, Lord's Day morning, Lord's Day evening. So do you want to meet with God? Then come and worship him here. He's inviting you. And if you don't know him, as you've been able to delve into Hebrews chapter 12, I hope you can see what exactly is going on, and you think to yourself, I want to be part of that. I never want to miss a Sunday again. I want to join in this. How can I do it? Well, repent. Claim Jesus as your own. Follow him all the days of your life. Our time's gone. What a wonderful subject, isn't it? We're, we're only scratching the surface of Hebrews chapter 12. We could delve into each of those little sections in, in verses 22 and 23 and 24. And maybe you could do that whenever you go home, uh, read them again and, and ponder on them, meditate on them, think about them. Friends, we all want to worship something. We're wired to worship. So who are you going to worship? I trust it's going to be the Lord. And I trust it's going to be here with your brothers and sisters. Look at verse 27 as we close. Verse 27, you see there's false worship in the world. The things of this world, the idols of this world, the things that shake, they will be removed. But verse 28, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We worship the God who will endure forever, to who there will be no end. Do you want to miss what our trying God is going to say and do? Absolutely not. So be here. And do you want to invite others into this experience? I hope you have seen tonight that I'm excited about this, and I hope you're excited too. You want to say, you never want to miss church again. And for people who haven't experienced this, you want to say, come along. Let's grab a coffee after and talk about this. What you have experienced. Who's missing this evening that should be here? Who, who do you want to be here? Who, who does it break your heart that they're not here tonight? Come. Let us worship the Lord together. Verse 28, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and with awe. Let's pray.